Lord, we thank you that you are the God. Like we talked about last week, you are the God who sees us. Not leaving us in our filth, not abandoning us in our brokenness. You're the God who comes to sin and cleanses it. Who comes in our defilement and makes us clean, purifies us. The God who comes to our guilt and proclaims us innocent. You're the God who comes to our shame and gives us honor. You lift our face. You're the God who comes to the lonely and gives them community. You're the God who comes to the despairing and gives them hope. Every human need answered in what you've done. Whatever our needs are tonight, Lord, I know you've heard them. And I know you are the answer to all of them. Sometimes we get an answer like Job. Which is no answer, but a promise of your presence. A promise that even though we can't understand, and we may never understand, and we may never get the answers we seek, you show up. And that's the answer we need. We are not alone and abandoned, and you are with us. We thank you when you do reveal your mysteries to us and you do give us answers to the questions and, and problems and hurts and brokenness of our life. We know you do that. Pray for every one of my brothers and sisters in this room, my family, these people that I love, that I call my own, my flock. Would you answer every one of their questions, every one of their needs, every one of their pains and their hurts in this moment. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of their lives and allowing me to have the chance to teach them your work. What an honor. Thank you for showing up. We ask, I ask you, Lord, be here, reveal yourself. Thank you for doing that. You did it. Help us as we study your word tonight. Help us to receive and understand. Help me to teach well. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Aaron. Well, tonight we'll continue on here in Genesis. We're kind of in this second part now. We've talked about this earlier on, right? The, the title of the series is A Land, a Seed, a Blessing. And we've seen in Genesis 15, we saw this land covenant come into being. And, and Abraham was uh, promised, Abram at this time, right? We'll see him Abraham tonight. So I'm getting ahead of myself, right? But Abram was promised the land. The land would be his, right? And his, his descendants would go into enslavement in Egypt and they'd be here there four generations he said 400 years and then come out he'd bring them back to this land that it would be their possession forever right that was the promise of Genesis 15 the covenant that God covenanted with Abram and then we saw 16 because we have moved immediately after that we moved to the seed promise and and Remember, Sarai and Abram had this scheme they kind of worked up that Sarai had or thought of and Abram acceded to. He agreed to do that 
was a human way of making an heir, a human way of fixing Sarai's barrenness. And when we saw that at least the author was saying, this looks like the fall. This looks like Adam and Eve's sin in Genesis 3. And they used the language to describe that. And, and despite that, we saw God's care for the outcast. We saw God's care for Hagar running away with her, her you know, unborn child. And the Lord showed up and was kind and gracious to her. But we're still left with one thing. This promise of, of child, this promise of seed to Abram. What's going to become of it? Well, if we're just, again, if we just knew nothing except what we've read. It seems like Ishmael's going to be it, right? He's the guy. He's got a seed now. Abram has someone. Ishmael is the heir. This is what's going to bring the promise to be. Well, the Lord has more to say about that. And he's going to say it tonight as we read Genesis 17. Okay, remember where we were. At the time, at the time, Abram was younger than he is now. He's 99, okay? He's 99 at this point. So it had been 13 years since the last story. We kind of pass over that. As we read the story, we just see it as successive accounts. We're like, oh, this happened, and then the very next thing, this happened, and then this happened. Right? That's not the case. Since Ishmael's birth, when we saw Hagar came back in the end of chapter 16, she bore a son to Abram, and they named him Ishmael. It's been 13 years at the start of chapter 17. We know because they're going to give us a clue by the ages, right? They're going to tell us that Abram is 99 now. And they're going to tell us that Ishmael, by the end of the count, that he's 13. So we know this a significant amount of time, right? A significant amount of time has passed. So here we go. Genesis 17. I've named this chapter, or this sermon this week, the Seed Covenant. Abram's already gotten one covenant. He's had this covenant about the land. And now tonight, we're going to see what I call the seed covenant. And it didn't make sense to me before why Abram's getting all these covenants and all these different pieces and all the, like, what's going on? Like, is it just just another retelling of the first covenant or what? And it finally made sense to me when I realized that the first covenant was the promise of the land brought to a covenant. And this covenant in 17 is the promise of the seed. And I think it makes sense of what we're going to read, which seems mysterious and somewhat arbitrary to us, doesn't it? Right? Circumcision. What is that about? What is a random thing? What a painful thing. What is the Lord's intention with this sign? Well, it makes sense when we think of it in light of the seed covenant. So we'll see that tonight. Okay. Genesis 17. Now when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will establish my covenant between me and you and I will multiply you exceedingly. Okay. El Shaddai, this is probably a very old name for God. It's, it's, very, it's probably one of the most ancient, archaic 
forms of, of a term. And interestingly, Shaddai is kind of obscure. We don't really know what it means exactly. But traditionally, it's been translated with this idea of power. He's omnipotent, the omnipotent one. So they translate it here, God Almighty. That's El Shaddai, the title. We've seen a lot of different titles for God as we've gone through Genesis. El Elyon with Melchizedek, God Most High. Elohim, just standard God. And of course, we've seen Yahweh, the covenant name. But that's imposed into Genesis, right? That's imposed into Genesis because Yahweh is not revealed to the people until Exodus 3, when the Lord gives Moses his covenant name, Yahweh. But here it's El Shaddai. Shaddai. And he says something. He says, you need to walk before me and be blameless. Abram, live your life as a righteous person. Be like Noah. Be like Enoch, the people who walked with me, who were blameless. And then he says, I will establish my covenant. Now, we already saw a covenant in 15. So if we're not thinking these are different, like I said, it gets confusing. But the key is, he's had a covenant about the land. He's not had a covenant about the seed. This focus on this covenant is about the seed. It's about having descendants. Now, those two things are tied up, aren't they? Whenever there's the promise of the land, there's always the promise of descendants. They're, they're kind of tied up together. So in some ways, this, this covenant is is expanding the idea of the first one, but it's also a separate thing. It's a separate idea. He's going to establish it. And what's the point of the covenant? Well, he says, what am I going to do? I'm going to multiply you. This is about descendants. God says it clearly. I'm going to make my covenant and multiply you exceedingly. I'm going to make you great. Abram fell on his face. And God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you will be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Avram, but your name shall be Avraham. For I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. Avram, his name, means exalted father. Exalted Father. And the Lord changes his name to something very similar, but a different meaning. And he explains it here. It says, I'm going to make you Avraham, the father of many. Right? Your name is literally going to be my promise encapsulated to you. I'm telling you now, my covenant with you is to make you a great nation, to give you descendants that are numberless as the sands of grain on the beach and as the stars in the sky. And I'm changing your name to remind you. Your name, Avraham, father of many. I'm going to make you the father of many nations. I'm going to make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make nations of you and kings will come forth from you. Now, where is this language coming from? What's it sound like? I'm going to make you fruitful. Remember what we talked about? This is Genesis 1 and 2 language. 
The promises he's making, the covenants he's making to Abram are to bring to humanity the things he wanted for them, which was what? Be fruitful and multiply. He says those things to Abram here. He says, I'm going to multiply you in verse 2. He says, I'm going to make you fruitful in verse 6. We miss that if we don't pay attention. This is humanity language. This is the promise to humanity, and he's going to do it for Abraham. I will call him Abraham from this moment forward, because that's his name now, right? Abraham. So I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to what? To be God to you and to your descendants after you. I'm going to give to you and to your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. See, the land and the seed are woven together. We've gotten the covenant of the land. We're seeing the covenant of the seed. But what God is saying, the ultimate promise, the thing that matters more than anything, this is not just a covenant with Abram. Excuse me. This is not just a covenant with Abraham. I already went back on what I said. This is not just a covenant to Abraham. This is a covenant to all those who come from him. This is going to be what? An eternal covenant, an everlasting covenant for all those who come from him. To what? To be their God. If you want to know why, throughout all of the Old Testament, throughout all of the prophets, throughout all of the judges, throughout all of this time, you're like, how many times is the Lord going to show mercy to these people? Look at the evil garbage they do constantly. And you're like, how many times? Seriously, can he have patience another time? Can he do it one more time? And you think that over and over and over. The basis of his kindness is this promise. He said, I'm covenanting to be your God. I will be these people's God. This is the Lord choosing a people. His faithfulness is so great to these people that he will walk from this moment in Genesis all the way through to Jesus and what Romans 9, 10, and 11 tell us, through all of history, he will redeem Israel. Right? Paul's entire point in Romans 9, 10, and 11 is to say that the promises of God have not failed yet. There's still a future for Israel. Now, in our day, man, that looks like there's no hope for them to turn to their Messiah. But one day, even the New Testament tells us, there will come a day when Israel will return to their God, that they'll, they'll accept their Messiah, and they will turn and be saved. That's what it says. But all of that hinges on this promise from God, this covenant 
the greatest covenant blessing that anyone could receive, to receive a God. To receive someone who will be over them, watch over them, protect them, fight for them, do miracles for them, work for them, seek their good. That's this God for the people he chose, which is the people of Abraham and his descendants. So, God said further to Abraham, now as for you, but he's got a condition. He has a condition. Here's what he says. Now as for you, Abraham, you shall keep my covenant you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin and it shall be the sign of the covenant between me and you. Again, I remember reading this as, as a kid, as a teenager. I'm like, what in the world does this have to do with the covenant? What does the, the cutting off of a foreskin, how does that relate to the promises of God? That's very, seems arbitrary to me. <laughs> there aren't any other choices. It seems strange. And it probably wasn't until I was in seminary that I was able to make sense of of why it's the covenant sign. I think the reason, now of course circumcision is the cutting of foreskin off the penis, if anyone doesn't know that, I'll tell you all now. Um, I don't want to assume anything about my audience that they know. Uh, <clears throat> my mom's a nurse, so that's also funny. Um, have you ever done any circumcisions? No, no, but I've I seen figured them. Not. Yeah. I've seen them. Yeah. Well, I figured, yes. Um, yeah, so the point of, of circumcision, it really, it was enlightened to me when I thought about this passage being the seed covenant. Then it makes sense. Why, if it's the promise of a descendant, wouldn't it be related to the sexual organ? That makes sense. It's about descendants. This is a reminder to Abraham this is a reminder to Abraham every time he goes to the bathroom, every time he's going to have marital intercourse with Sarai, it's a reminder of what? The promise of a seed. It makes sense. Abram, Abraham, you are going to have a child. I will make it come to pass. And he's reminded every time. He sees himself. There's power in that. Not only that, but also even further. What was God say when he shows up? He says, walk before me and be blameless. Be blameless before me, Abram. The sign also makes sense in light of the culture which, with, with which he's in. The number one religion of the Canaanites around was a fertility cult. They did things like temple prostitution. They did things that were warned against in Leviticus, like sex with family members, sex with animals, horrible, evil practices. 
lustful, satanic practices that were all revolving around sex. It also makes sense to have a sign on the male member to be pure, to be holy, sexually pure, in a surrounding in which everyone is engaging in lewd, lustful, awful sexual practice. And again, every time Abram sees himself, every time he goes to the bathroom, every time he chooses to be intimate with his wife, he's reminded to be pure. To operate in purity. To operate free from lust and free from depravity. The sign makes sense. This is the promise of a seed. So why wouldn't it be here? Be reminded. So the Lord says, you must be circumcised. All your descendants, everyone who descends from you, and you yourself, in the flesh of your foreskin shall be circumcised. And it will be the sign of our covenant. It's the sign of the fact that he's going to have descendants as numerous of the, as the stars. And it's a sign on everyone who ever comes from him. Every descendant he has, that they too will be circumcised to be reminded that the promise of this exceedingly multiplied, exceedingly fruitful covenant is marked on the body. One second, we'll we'll get back to it, buddy, at the end. So every male, here's the practice for, for Jews to this day, to this very day. And every male among you who is eight days old shall be circumcised throughout your generations. A servant who is born in the house or who is bought with money from any foreigner who is not of your descendants. A servant who is born in your house or who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. Thus shall my covenant be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. But an uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin that person shall be cut off from his people because he has broken my covenant. Now I know this is Old Testament. I know this is not applicable to New Testament Gentiles any longer. Well, really even New Testament Jews, but obviously they're Jewish, so they're going to be circumcised. But I know this is not applicable in the New Testament. But man, think about reading this in terms of the Old Testament. Just think about the language that is used. And we think the body's not important. The body doesn't matter. It's all just spiritual. We need to get rid of this earthly shell and get to the spiritual. It seems like God cares quite a bit about the body. Right here. By the way, in your body you will bear the sign of my eternal covenant. Pretty significant. Pretty significant. It's been changed. I recognize that, obviously. But think of the significance of this sign. Powerful. But God's not done. Because what's going to happen with Sarai? So God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her And indeed, I will give you a son by her. 
Then I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Interestingly, Sarai to Sarah, they probably mean the same thing. It's hard to know. It could just be dialectic. But it means princess. Princess. She's getting a, a promise of royalty. And her name is Princess. Beautiful. So Abraham fell on his face and he laughed and said in his heart, Will a child be born to a man 100 years old? And will Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Is this realistic? Again, I've read so many people who assume that this laughing is only one of two things. It's either pure joy or it's total doubt and lack of faith. Why? Haven't you ever laughed at something that sounds absurd? To me, that's the way I understand this laugh. This is an absurd thought, and rightly so, couldn't we say? If not for God, would this be happening? No way. In human understanding, even in Abraham's Abraham's day, it it would be asinine to think that this would happen. There's no way. It's humanly impossible. Of course he laughs. It's like the Lord just told him a joke. You're going to have a child at 100. Nowadays, you have a dad who's like 50, and he's like, oh, I just don't know if I can play ball with the kid. What about Abraham? What's he going to do with the kid at 100? I mean, come on. It seems ridiculous. Of course he laughs. What's so beautiful about what God does, though? He responds to us where we're at. He responds in kindness and love. And somehow, in the beauty of his working, even our randomness, even our missteps, even if this is a sign of doubt, which I don't think it is, but even if it is, God incorporates it into the promise. How do we know that? I'll tell you why in one minute. We'll get there. Abraham said to God, Oh, Lord, that Ishmael might live before you. He he says, Lord, is that really what you're going to do? I've already got a son. Can't he just live before you? Let him be my heir. Abraham loves his son. He loves his son. But God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name Yitzhak. You know what Yitzhak means? Laughing. Isaac means laughing. The Lord takes Abraham's laugh of absurdity and he says, that's going to be the very sign to you that he's going to be here one day. Your laughing is evidence that I'm going to stay true to the promise. And you're going to name your boy laughing. And every time you look at him, you'll remember the laugh you had when I gave you the promise and I followed through on it. It's Hawk laughing. And the Lord, who responds to his servant, says this, As for Ishmael, I have heard you. 
Also beautiful. I love the poeticness of that. You remember what I told you Yishmael means? God hears. As for God hears, I have heard you. It's precious. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I will bless him. God's like, I've got my own plan. Isaac is the one. He will be born through your wife. But for your desire, the desire of your heart for your son, I want you to know, I haven't, I haven't ignored you. I've heard your prayer, and I'm going to answer it. I will bless him. I will bless the boy that you love. But he is not the one that I will choose to continue the line. Right? He's not the one of my chosen people. But I will bless him. I will bless him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him. He's receiving a promise similar. Now, it's not the line of, of the chosen, right? But it's a big promise. It's that humanity promise. He's going to be fruitful and multiply and become a great nation. He will become the father of 12 princes and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac whom Sarah will bear to you at this season next year. You've been waiting over 20 years for the fulfillment of this promise. Remember what was said when they left in Genesis 12? Go to the land that I show you. Go to the country that I show you. For I will make you into a great nation. The promise of a descendant has been around in Abraham and Sarai's life for over 20 years. Are you ready to wait on the promise for 20 years? Abraham and Sarai. Got to get them both right. Abraham and Sarah, they did. They did. It is probably a foregone conclusion up to this point before the Lord speaks that Sarah's barrenness will not be changed. They've waited 20 some years. I think it's 25, but 20 odd years at this point. They've been waiting a long time. And the Lord says, one more year. One more year. And when I return, laughing will be here. <laughs> Isaac will be here. This line struck me this time. It's so interesting. I don't know why it struck me so hard this time, but it did. I think it's beautiful. Verse 22. When God had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. God's just down there having a conversation with Abraham. That's beautiful. And it's like, well, I'm done with what I had to say. I'll see you later, Abraham. Have a good one. I'll be back in a year. We forget, again, I say this, we, but we do forget. As we just read the story, we go from one highlight with God to another highlight with God, to another highlight with God, to another highlight with God. They waited 20 years. 20 years. This has been 13 years since they last heard a word from the Lord. 
We're like, I got home from summer camp and I had a great moment, God, but I didn't hear from you in three days. What's up? Why am I not feeling you anymore? It's been three days. Jesus waited longer in the grave for an answer. And we're prepared to wait from summer camp. 13 years. But we just see it and we're like, oh man, look at these people. How amazing must their life have been. God's here and God's here and God shows up and says this and God shows up. No, there's sometimes decades between those moments. And probably for the rest of that time in between, they're just trying their best to live like a righteous Israelite. Sometimes I, I just want to point out to us that their lives are not that dissimilar from us. We actually have a great advantage, truly. A huge metaphysical advantage because we have the Holy Spirit. Undeniably more privileged. But, at the same time, I recognize that the life of a Christian looks like just wandering through life, doing your best moment to moment, a lot of the time. And we forget that. We think that, I don't know, sometimes we just think God's going to show up on a whim because we feel like it. Like he owes it to us. Sometimes you wait decades for the answer. Sometimes you wait decades for the next message. Going from day to day to day to day, just living your life. And they didn't even have, again, not just the Holy Spirit, the benefit of the scriptures. Think about Abram. All he got was this, go from your country. I'm going to make you into a great nation and I'm going to bless you exceedingly. And he just goes. That's it. That's the amount of scripture he had. A word from the Lord. It's not written down. Nothing. It's about two sentences long. And he did it. We have so many advantages. We can hear the verse, excuse me, we can hear the words of the Lord every time we open up those verses. Any verse, we hear the mouth of God. We have his spirit inside us so that we are never apart from him. What advantage, what advantage could they possibly have over what we have received? There's none. There's none. And still they can live lives like faithful people. And we got to up our game. we got to up our game. We have every advantage. I know that was a little mini rant in the middle of what I was saying. <laughs> but it's true. I love that. I love it. God said his point. And he's like, okay, Abraham, I've said my thing. You've heard what I have to say to you. I'll see you in a year. And God left. So what's Abraham the man of faith do. He receives the word of the promise of the covenant and what does Abraham, the man of faith, do? Immediately. And then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all the servants who were born in his house and all who were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's household, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskin in the very same day as God had said to him. Now, Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. In the very same day, Abraham was circumcised, and Ishmael, his son, all the men of his household who were born in the house or bought with money for a foreigner were circumcised with him. 
Why is it so important? Why does this account emphasize that? Because it was the same day. What does that mean? It means he believed the promise. Abraham, the man of faith, said, I've got one more year to wait. One. It's nothing. It's a football season. It's one more time watching the Seahawks get real close. <laughs> Mess it up at the end. Or the Mariners perpetually lose also. It's nothing. Abraham, the man of faith, believed. He believed. So the very same day the Lord spoke to him, he did what he said. He knew it was going to be a year. He'd be like, okay, well, I've got 51 weeks, and then I'll do it. And then the Lord will show back up in the next week. I'm going to put this off. No. No, he did it the same day. He didn't even wait a night. Because he believed the promise that the Lord had made him, and he believed in honoring the covenant that God had given him. So he did it the same day. we got to believe in the promise. Like I've said, and i said this the last couple weeks because I'm just struck by Abraham's story, and I think about our own lives. We've got eternal promises still waiting. We've got Jesus we're still waiting for, his return. We've got personal promises. Maybe the Lord said something to you. You're still waiting for him to fulfill. We've got, all, we've got community promises even. The Lord speaks to communities. Speaks promises over different groups. We've got those waiting for our church. Right? Tyler prophesied we we're going to see 100 new faces this year. I believe that prophecy. I believe that was a word from the Lord. A hundred people who've never come to Wellspring, at least going to come one time. We'll see a hundred new people. We've got promises on the community we're waiting for, but you've got to believe the promise and act on it like it's assured. Abram, who is no longer called Abram, it's called Abraham, did. And he had the signs. <coughs> He was reminded of his covenant whenever he saw himself. He was reminded of the covenant whenever someone called him by name. He trusted the promise. The man of faith trusted the promise was going to come to pass the way the Lord had said. Maybe he laughed. Who knows? Let's say it's a moment of doubt. Even in his doubting, what did he do? He obeyed. He obeyed. He came back around to believing the promise, even if it was a moment of doubt. We've got to do the same. For our promises, for our community's promises, for the promises of the eternal word of the Lord that we are still waiting for. Believe. Believe tonight, church. Believe what God has told you. Trust in it. Have faith that it will come to pass and operate. Live out your life like he will do what he has said, what he has promised to do, what he has covenanted to do, he will do.
I'm going to turn it over to Tyler, and he'll uh, lead us in some prayer. But let me just say one word of blessing. Lord, I pray you would answer. Answer each person's heart's cry tonight. Whatever we had in that moment where Aaron was playing that beautiful song and letting us just take a moment to speak to you, would you, like Abraham, show up to us, speak a word to us, We know we don't dare demand it, but we ask it. We supplicate for it, knowing that you are God who loves his people and wants their their best and loves to answer prayer. We believe that about you. We've We've seen it. We've seen it in the scriptures and we've seen it in our own lives. So I pray you'd bring a word to each person tonight as we move on through this next week, about whatever it is you have to say to us. We long to hear your voice. Whatever it is you have to say to each one of us, we desire to hear it. Whatever it may be, speak to us, Lord. Amen. Amen.